0: Today on Thinker with Reid Juberman, Jonathan hate is going Old Testament on our behinds. And the White House is swooping in to save us from their destructive fiscal policies with, you guessed it, more intelligence-defying fiscal policies. And Ron DeSantis is actually solving one of the biggest problems in America right now. But of course, the left is going to flip out about it. And then finally, we'll look at a California bill that seeks to pull the medical licenses of any doctor who disagrees with politicians. That and more all on today's show. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey guys, no anecdotal stuff today. Just hope you're liking, sharing and subscribing and wanna jump quickly into our ad reads so that we can jump into the show today. But uh, those of you who have watched for any length of time know that I'm trying to help you secure your family's future by directing you to KevinBlairTeam.com where you can get the greatest customer service you will ever find on the planet. No exaggeration whatsoever from the Element Funding team. They're gonna help you with whatever your mortgage needs, whether you're refinancing, or whether you wanna buy a new home, they can help you out. So all you need to do, so simple, go to KevinBlairTeam.com and get pre-qualified for a home loan today. Those guys, like I said, not only provide great customer service, but they pre-approve you directly up front, getting all of the information they need rather than just trying to lure you in with a very low interest rate. They're they're actually going to be up front with you from the very beginning and help you through a very seamless process that will give you the assurance that you need to know that when you finally get down to making an offer on a home, that that offer will be approved. So go over there and check out KevinBlairTeam.com today and let them know that anything thinker sent you. So in the future, I'm gonna be doing a, uh, a show that will go into the new Hillsong documentary and all the things that are happening there. If you know what Hillsong Church is, one of the biggest church movements in the world today. Um, but I have another documentary to jump on today before we get to that in the future. And so I recently watched a documentary on Jimmy Seville on Netflix, whom I didn't even know before this documentary, but apparently he was a pretty big deal in England. Um, uh, Top of the Pops and Jimmy will fix it, Top of the Pops is kind of like American Bandstand, I suppose, I don't know, Uh, but we quickly learned that this philanthropist, and entertainer, was associated with people like the Prime Minister of England and the Prince, Prince Charles, and that he was nothing more than a disgusting pedophile, surprise, surprise. While the whole thing was interesting, including the repeated public confessions that he made in various interviews that he just passed off as jokes, I did find one statement in the film so eye-opening and relevant to our time that I wanted to share it with you guys. Uh, So here's a little bit of that.
1: There are many sorts of gods. There's the god
0: uh,
1: of my, of my own god, uh, who is a god possibly uh, molded to my own image a little bit insofar as he suits me. My God is for me and I reckon I've come off best because my God is a real great guy He's a great sense of humor. I must catch him on his good days I think.
0: Now the religion Seville describes here may sound preposterous but actually in my experience it's it's very common here's why because the kind of idolatry and the making of God into your own image is pretty common because Most people defer to that, it's easier. But but I'm not making a religious argument with this show. To to be clear, I'm making a common sense argument. And that argument is just simple throughout everything we're gonna talk about today. And that is this, that if a person does not worship God, they must find someone to take his place. That, That somebody must fill the throne if God is not on the throne. Now, on the show, I try to give ideas using reason and logic outside of religious claims, even though I am a vocal Christian. The reason for that is not because I believe we should strip religion away uh, from the claims that we make or else we cannot derive at anything truthful. In fact, it is far to the contrary. I wish to show that there's that there's reason and logic behind the claim of the Christian faith. In fact, Christians have this saying, everybody's worshiping something. So we don't actually even believe that you can be an a-religious person, that you can just worship nothing. So everybody is worshiping something. And now again, I try to, uh, to make logical claims that I believe are well positioned within the Christian faith, but I don't try to make them strictly for Christians because I believe that they are strictly truthful, which is for all of us. I just happen to also believe that Christianity is for everybody, but I put that to the side. Again, because All I'm trying to do today is make a reasonable, logical argument, and here's my argument, that there is no such thing as an a-religious person. So I go back to the claim. Everybody is worshiping something. So even the atheist has a religion of sorts, and certainly the modern-day godless left has its own liturgy with chants like, my body, my choice, and its own saints and martyrs when they make claims about trans-violence which, by the way, doesn't exist. Trans violence exists, but the claims that they make don't exist, that, that trans people are just being exterminated. It's, it's just not true. They also have a God. It's just a God they worship that doesn't look anything like the Judeo-Christian God of the Bible. It looks a whole lot like they're worshiping something they would find in a mirror. So my claim throughout this whole video today, this whole podcast today, because you may be listening, is just simply that self-worship takes the place of religious worship in the absence of God and Holy Scripture. Now, I know that the atheist, if they accept that, that point, they will say, well, since God doesn't exist, then religious people are only worshiping themselves too. It's just a different way of doing that. <clears throat> but that can't be true with religions like Christianity. Put aside the reality of, of spiritual experience and divine revelation for a moment, which Christians believe in. The very teaching of Christianity hammers self-love, and it calls people to do things like take up your cross and deny yourself. So it can't properly be associated with just merely the worship of self. In fact, this is what Christians really believe is at the heart of Satan worship. Satan worship does not entail a D&D player with acne wearing all black, wearing a pentagram, and living in his mother's basement. That's not to deny the existence of witchcraft and the evil powers that exist in the spiritual realm. That is just merely to say this, that there is a more common, more powerful temptation, and that is the temptation of the worship of self, and that's what we really believe Satanism is in the in the first place. Chris, Chris, Christian scripture tells us that the real Satan, uh, uh, the real story of Satan was, was one of pride, and that he was booted from heaven for pride. For reference, it is believed that he is speaking in Isaiah 14 in a portion uh, called the five I wills, and for reference, here they are in Isaiah 15. And so we think this is Satan speaking to God, or about God, and he's saying, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And we believe these five I will statements were the real reason that Satan was booted out of heaven, like I said. So I share this with you, because the real temptation in ours and every generation is pride, or hubris. So when we say that someone is a Satan worshiper, what we mean is that they worship themselves. And when that happens, that the only standard of truth that becomes available is the one that they arbitrarily created by themselves. And that that is not a mode of maintaining a suitable society. Arbitrary standards that are just individually and independently created cannot maintain a society. A society is fundamentally built upon a shared group of standards, a social contract, if you will, that is not signed but certainly implied. It is an agreement that we will not think ourselves as any more important than, uh, than the others and that the rules apply to one, also apply to all. So you, you might be able to guess where I'm going here with this um, and going next, but just in case, We'll go ahead and illustrate it clearly for you. When boys all of a sudden think that they have the right to compete in girls' sports, they're not expressing their their gender identity. What they're doing is saying, I don't want the rules to apply to me. And when a group of radicals create their own newly invented sexual proclivity, they're not looking for freedom. sexual expression. They're looking for attention. When a teacher believes that their right to teach about their sex life trumps the rights of parents in elementary school, they're not looking for freedom of expression. They're not looking to teach. They're looking for exceptions. But by the way, I just, quick update, newsflash, you, you don't get your own gender that you can just pull out of thin air. You don't get to make up your own language and make others speak it. No matter how you feel, you can't extort people into, into declaring your pronouns that you arbitrarily created. And you don't get to do with my kids what I say no to. Then's the rules, people. And if the if you think you're God's gift to the world, that doesn't change the reality. All of this brings me to the discussion I really want to have with you, and that is this. If we admit that human freedom requires boundaries, now that's a bold statement, but I think we all know that there is no such thing as freedom without boundaries. If we admit that there has to be a social contract in in order for a society to function, then some questions are in order that demand we do more than yell at each other and disagree without any substantive arguments. It demands that we ask, by what standard should we live and who gets to decide the standard? Since that's such a big question, I'll provide at least the wrong answer in case you're just trying to Christmas tree this whole test. The answer that you shouldn't use is you, because it's not you that gets to arbitrarily decide these standards. There are only three sources of truth that we have to draw from here, and that's realities based upon reason. Reality is also, you know, based upon, like, scientific inquiry. And then, realities based upon time-tested traditions that must be thoroughly debunked before you go around deconstructing them, especially when those traditions have been practiced for ages and centuries. You don't get to just throw them out the window because one day you think you're better than them. Without that standard, without a standard, societies will implode, and this is the contention of Douglas Murray and the Strange Death of Europe. Um, As we jump into our headlines today, we'll see. I'm not alone in my sinking suspicion that we're either going to right this ship or we're going to implode. So let's jump into it. All right, so Jonathan Haidt uh, is an author, among other things, and a behavioral scientist, I think, and he wrote The Coddling of the American Mind like a great book that, among other things, shows that we're raising a generation of pansies. My words not his, just for reference. So he recently wrote a truly fascinating article in The Atlantic that I want to share with you guys because it speaks, it speaks to the problem that I kind of illustrated in the intro. And in it, he says this. What would it have been like to live in Babel in the days after its destruction in the book of Genesis? We are told that the descendants of Noah built a great city in the land of Shinar. They built a tower with its top in the heavens to make a quote, a name for themselves. God was offended by the hubris of humanity and he said this, Look, they are one people, they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. The text does not say that God destroyed the tower, but in many popular renderings of the story he does, so let's hold that dramatic image in our minds. People wandering amid the ruins, unable to communicate, condemned to mutual incomprehension. Sounds pretty beautiful, right? Uh, Maybe to the leftists who want to destroy everything and from the ashes build a utopia. Anyway, I digress. It goes on to say, The story of Babel is the best metaphor I have found for what happened to America in the 2010s and for the fractured country we now inhabit. Something went terribly wrong. Very suddenly, we are disoriented, unable to speak the same language or recognize the same truth. And by the way, side note, we'll come back to that, to that last sentence. And he goes on to say, quote, we are cut off from one another and from the past. It's been clear for quite a while now that Red America and Blue America are becoming like two different countries, claiming the same territory with two different versions of the Constitution, economics and American history. But Babel is not a story about tribalism. It's a story about the fragmentation of everything. It's about the shattering of all that had seemed solid, the scattering of people who had been a community. It's a metaphor for what is happening not only between red and blue, but within the left and within the right, as well as within universities, companies, professional associations, museums, and even families. Babel is a metaphor for what some forms of social media have done to nearly all of the groups and institutions most important to the country's future. And to us as a people, how did this happen, and what does it pretend for American life? So a fascinating article, and that's just a little bit of it, but but it does present some interesting questions. So. Um, it tells us that the ultimate thing that will tear us apart in Jonathan Haidt's mind is social media. So I think that there's some merit to that, especially in a place where everybody has an audience and for even some of the most ridiculous things. So has social media changed the story we tell ourselves? I think so because now every story seems legitimate because you can find insanity wherever you want. There's an audience, in other words, for every insanity. And ultimately Haidt is pointing out that, that we had a shared project before We were fragmented. However, the story of Babylon needs a little bit nuance, a little bit more nuance than that. The the shared project was a fruitless, vain effort in in the Bible story. So, um, uh, so perhaps hate means to say that the shared project is social media. So, if that's what he's talking about, and the tower is social media, we must realize that that was a vain effort that 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 God was not in, and crumbled to the ground, and we must move on from it. So. If that's what he means to point out, hate is right about the predicament. We are disoriented, unable to speak the same language, or recognize the same truth. If this is true, then we must recognize truth once again if we are able to, quote, build back better, right? We're not going to be able to throw pro- money at our problems and pretend that they're going to go away. Uh, what we must do is we must realize that the vain tower that we've been building is ultimately built with man's hands and does have consequences. Now, I, I know this is going to be an anecdote. that is not going to be relevant to many people, but um, but hear me out on this, even if you're not a Christian or whatnot. Um, but the one thing that I've thought about pertaining to this story is about building these machines that, that ultimately devour us. In, in the modern-day church, we have something called the church growth movement or the seeker-sensitive movement. And uh, there's a lot of truth to the seeker-sensitive movement, but the big problem with the seeker-sensitive movement is that the pastors who are behind it are not also very often willing to admit the the potential pitfalls of the church growth movement. And I'm going to probably do an extended show about this later because I think it's relevant to all of us in society. I think we're finding out more and more that we're more interconnected than we think beyond social media the pandemic probably proved that more than anything. But the point is, is that these guys are not willing to necessarily acknowledge the negative repercussions or the negative potential in the church growth movement. Uh, The idea, perhaps, that what the church growth movement is actually doing is not growing the church, but actually reshuffling the church more than anything else. You know, kind of quashing smaller churches and building one big megachurch in its stead, but it's not actually the great evangelistic giant that that they pretend it to be. And um, while there's been a lot of pushback to the idea that the modern day megachurch has to change the message and it treats the audience as sovereign rather than the message as sovereign, because quite frankly, the vast majority of megachurch pastors appreciate the Bible, wanna preach the word of God and all of that stuff. but, But nonetheless, there is this potential for augmenting the message to appeal to a large audience that must be recognized that the bigger the audience gets, the more hazard there is. And and I say all of that to just say this, that if we're going to recognize the positive for social media, the church, or whatever, in any institution, we must also recognize the negatives. And then we must do an analysis on those things and recognize, if one is far outweighs the other. So we must weigh the pros against the cons. Hopefully if you're single, you're doing this with your, uh, with your future mate and uh, you're recognizing um, some things that may tip the scale in one favor or another. But the, but the point is is that we have to be honest about both sides of this thing. And if we find that I think Jonathan Haidt is pointing out, and I think I would agree, that social media is deteriorating the social fabric of society. And more importantly, and I think this is the real point, is that it is creating a sense in which the truths that once held us together are now scattered and arbitrary and no longer able to be defined because now we've siloed ourselves out into the uh, the big monolith of social media, found a group of people that will agree with us, and if we find enough of those people, then we will we'll be affirmed in even the most suicidal ideations that, that we can come up with. And I think transgender movement is... It was par for the course as far as that's concerned, but the point is is that we're not able to appropriately define reality anymore as a result of social media, and that is dangerous. This is what I call, and I'm writing a book about this, called curated reality, that the behaviors that we participate in and are rewarded for will be repeated. And this is happening with likes on social media. And what it is doing is, is it is creating in us the sense that, that those things which are liked are true, but that may not be the case. Just because something is liked, it doesn't mean it's good. So here's an example. So a while back I was doing an outreach and I was giving out water to those who were victims of flooding and and tornado. And so we were collecting donations in order to kind of parse those things out. And so we posted some things earlier in the day, didn't get very many likes on those things, just a little bit here and there. And then, (laughs) this is so crazy that this happened, but LL Cool J shows up looking at a building right next to where we were doing this thing. And so, of course, we get the gratuitous selfie with my family and LL Cool J, and then almost an hour later, we've got 250 likes. And I just thought to myself, you know, is LL Cool J the story here, here, or is the fact that we're trying to help people uh, the real story? And, and of course, the, the, the point of that story is just simply this, is that we're obviously gonna get the likes for the LL Cool J, and, and we're not gonna get the likes for the things that are actually more substantive and more meaningful and more important than the fact that we saw a celebrity. And that's the way social media works, so I'm not decrying that as some old man shouting at the clouds, I'm just saying it's clear that the things that are most valuable are not always the things that get the most likes. But the further we go down the rabbit hole of social media, we may find a a continued fragmenting of our understanding of reality and those things which are true. And uh, while I can't go any further than that, I can also say that helping along the way is the White House who continually wants to try to (laughs) undermine basic facts and realities on the ground. And this is uh, probably more the case in terms of fiscal policy with this White House than anything else. So don't worry, the White House is coming to swoop in and save us all from their ridiculous fiscal policies with more ridic- ridiculous fiscal policies. So here is Kamala Harris in our next kind of story uh, talking to us about what's going on in America and how their heart breaks for us peasants.
1: The president and I know that one of the biggest challenges facing working families
0: today is the rising cost of living helping Americans lower their monthly bills is one of our administration's top priorities. And that is why we are here today. Okay, so a lot to say there, but I'm just gonna illustrate one thing here, that their solution for gas prices because of what's going on right now is E15 gas, so increasing the ethanol level in gases. So back in 2012, the AAA was voicing their concerns about widespread use of E15 gas. Now this is a while back, but I want you to hear this because I'm making a point. So this was an article in USA Today, Net said, quote, It is clear that millions of Americans are unfamiliar with E-15, which means there is a strong possibility that many may improperly fill up using this gasoline and damage their vehicle. AAA President and CEO Robert Darblanet tells USA Today, quote, Bringing E-15 to the market without adequate safeguards does not responsibly meet the needs of consumers, end quote and this article will go on to say this from the american petroleum institute quote it says a three-year study was conducted by automakers in the oil industry found that e-15 is a consumer safety issue for a majority of drivers with pre-2012 vehicles quote our testing of a range of ethanol levels at 15 percent to 20 percent has identified issues about engine durability an api group director and engineer bob greco says now Here's what you should know, that this article, again, was written in 2012, and since then there have been varying reports about the dangers of E15 gas as it has become more prominent. Uh, But I'll just tell you a personal anecdote and then you make of it what you will. So someone who works in the fuel industry told me that corn is constantly in surplus in the U.S. And so the corn industry uh, has found creative ways to subsidize that surplus. And so they've done things like create high fructose corn syrup. So a lot of you parents understand the implications of that. And then they've also created gas with it. But that the fuel is actually a horrible corrosive inside of the mechanics of your car. So I think it's at least fair to suggest that there are whole lobbying industries in D.C. that lie for personal gain. I think that's a fair enough statement, right? Enough to give us pause. And so I know I'm going to go out on a limb here, but it sounds just like the White House, to lower prices temporarily and to give in to the corn lobby um, so that it can cause major dam- damage to cars so that they can continue to push the oil industry off a cliff, because we know that's their agenda, so that they can rush in and save us all with the problem that they created. Sound familiar? I'm just suggesting here. And for proof, that I might be correct, the White House clearly has no problem creating problems and then rushing in to suggest that they can also fix those problems. And this is the kind of mode of operation of Saki as she does her best hypnotist routine, repeating the words Putin's price hike to try to get us to believe it over and over again. So here's her doing that.
1: To the actions we've taken to address uh, Putin, the Putin price hike, we are in a better place than we were last month, Um, but we expect March CPI headline inflation to be extraordinarily elevated due to Putin's price hike. And we expect a large difference between core and headline inflation reflecting the global disruptions in energy and food markets.
0: All right, so we got the memo, Saki. We got it. Putin's price hike. Sure. You know, there's an old saying in DC, repeat BS enough and people will believe it. Oh, wait, 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 wait. That's that's actually Nazi Germany. Um, Anyhow. Uh, Point being that the people that make a mess should come in and have plans to clean it up. However, when the people that made the mess refuse to acknowledge that they're the ones who made the mess, it instead gives you a little bit of a discomforting feeling. You can only come up with two conclusions. Either they are so stupid that they don't realize that they made the mess, or like my children, they're lying. And they do know that they made the mess, and they're just lying about the fact that they, that they made it. In any case, they're dangerous. Whether it's ignorance or maliciousness, it's dangerous. And it can only cause more damage, but that's hardly going to keep the Biden administration from trying. So let's jump into our final headline. So DeSantis signs a bill to address the decline in fatherhood. Now I wanna go ahead and call it, but um, uh, I, I haven't heard it called this, but, but it's coming. So you just prepare yourself. So you heard it here first. This is the Don't Say Woman Bill, or better yet, the Toxic Masculinity Bill, right? Because this bill that DeSantis just just proposed and is bringing into fruition is a bill that proposes 70 million in aid to support the Department of Juvenile Justice so that it can support um, good fathering in the state. Now admittedly, I have to say this, a father should be a father without the state funding that kind of initiative. But the left has been destroying the family for so long in America, it's only about time that someone did something about it. And quite frankly, it's far too little money for the degradation that has happened to uh, to fatherhood in America because of the left. But again, at least somebody is actually addressing it. And the, and the media will come out and try to fight DeSantis on this thing and try to find a, some way to make it negative, even though it is clear that this is an important step towards something that needs to be addressed in America. And I wanna note that the media will go out of its way to smear anything that they wish to uh, deceive the American public on. So this is, this is nothing new. And organizations like BLM will also do the same because they're so full of crap that if they actually did stuff like this, it might actually excuse some of their, their bad proclivities. Uh, but they don't care about black America and they don't care about black fatherness, fatherlessness in America, which is the chief vector of issues in black communities. No, they wanna destroy the nuclear family. So I, I personally don't care about these naysayers and organizations like BLM, uh, no matter how many backpacks they give out, or sack lunches they give out, uh, if they're not interested in actually making substantive change like DeSantis. So, no, I get it, it's not an election year, so BLM has retreated to their California mansions for now, but just remember, when they try to pro- poke their heads out again next election cycle, they're nothing more than domestic terrorish- terrorists who wish to steal money and compound real issues in black America, but people, like Ron DeSantis are actually taking a stand and doing something about the real issues in America. So when people say things like, Ron DeSantis wants to fight phantoms in the elementary school system and teachers teaching these things, uh, like uh, like sexual orientation and gender identity as the so-called don't say gay bill, which I hate calling it that, so I'm gonna refuse to call it that and call it what it is actually called, the parental rights in education bill. Um, so so the, while they want to, to say that he's fighting ghosts and that stuff really isn't happening in elementary schools, he's proposing bills like this that good luck media trying to prove that this isn't happening when there's a 70% fatherlessness rate, or single parenthood rate anyway, in the black American family. Uh, so it's clearly an issue that needs to be addressed. And, uh, and in addressing it, it will solve so many of the things that we're seeing right now in society because the reality that we wish to try to side skirt in the midst of all of the talking points of the modern day political environment is this, is that the best way to raise a happy and healthy future generation is with happy and healthy parents, a mother and a father. Every objective standard that has ever been measured will tell you this, that the best way to raise well-rounded kids in the future the greatest chance for that is a mother and father in a home raising their children together. Now, I'm just going to make a controversial statement here, but uh, but it also, I think, needs to be said because it's accurate. The vast majority of kids that come to the conclusion at any point in their life, uh, and this is not all, but it is a large majority, about two-thirds, of the kids who will come to the conclusion that they are either trans or Um, somewhere in the LGBTQIA spectrum either had homosexual parents, trans parents, or, um, or, or had some type of sexual abuse in their life. So the point goes back here, is that the nuclear family, a mother and a father raising their children together is the greatest chance a society has for the future and Ron DeSantis is taking a stand to make sure that that happens for future generations. So you can say what you want to about the man, but I'd love to see you try to demean and undermine this bill. And if you're not BLM or Lion Media, um, I don't see how you can really truly come up against something that is so desperately needed in society today. So with that being said, we'll talk about some desperate needs in society in our final segment, Christianity, Not Today. For all my California peeps, I'm gonna joke a little bit at California's expense today, but I know that not everybody in California is a nutbag. but according to California Assembly Bill 2098, physicians who deviate from an authorized set of beliefs, we'll come back to that crazy statement, would do so at the risk of their medical license. The bill written by Assemblyman Evan Lowe, a Democrat in Silicon Valley and currently making its way through the California legislature, is motivated by the idea that practicing doctors are spreading misinformation about the risks of COVID, its treatment, and the COVID vaccine. It declares that physicians and surgeons who disseminate, and this is quote, disseminate or promote misinformation or disinformation related to COVID-19, include false or misleading information regarding the nature of the risks of the virus, its prevention and treatment, and the development, safety, and effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccines shall be subject to, quote, disciplinary action, which could result in the loss of the doctor's medical license. Now, let's go back for a moment to something that I highlighted when I was reading there. Authorized set of beliefs. Now, I, for one, would love to know who authorizes those beliefs. Will it just be the Democratic Party of California, so all California politics, or doctors who have been authorized to speak according to the Democratic Party lines? So if you don't believe according to these authorized set of beliefs, then you will be excommunicated. So you tell me if we aren't getting religious yet in in the Democratic Party. Uh, so here's the real problem with this kind of overt religious piety, excommunicating doctors if they don't agree with our dogma. Uh, and this comes from Federalist Papers number 51 and James Madison writing. And this is a, just a phenomenal quote that I think gets to the heart of our government and to a truth that we need to remember. So it says, quote, If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external, external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administrated by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed and in the next place oblige it to control itself. So in other words, we're neither angels nor devils. And so we have a predicament here. The government cannot be too strong, but it has to be just strong enough. So the point being is there is no governing body that deserves the right because of our devilish nature to arbitrate truth and disinformation for all of us. You know why? Because usually liars and thieves are the kind of people who would even endorse such a thing. They want to pervert power for selfish gain, which is the name of the game for politics, quite frankly. But most importantly, all of us have this tendency toward evil. And if we're not willing to acknowledge it, we're just liars. And this is James Madison's point here, is that we're neither angels nor demons. And maybe even if you disagree with that statement, right, that we're neither angels nor demons, somewhere in between. Even if you disagree with that, I hope we can agree with to this, that the people creating that standard of belief uh, to abide by shouldn't be politicians and media personalities. They've disgraced themselves so repeatedly that they, they don't even see themselves anymore. They lie as a course and have become so entrenched in their own BS, I honestly don't think they can see it anymore. And here's proof positive. Here's Brian Stelter at a disinformation conference of all ironies, of all things, revealing that he has officially sunk to the seventh level of his own echo chamber hell. My name is
1: Christopher Phillips. I'm a first year at the college. Uh, My question is for Mr. Seltzer. Uh, You've all spoken extensively about Fox News being a purveyor of uh, disinformation. Uh, But CNN is right up there with them. They pushed the Russian collusion hoax. They pushed the Justice Smollett hoax. They smeared Justice Kavanaugh as a rapist. And they also smeared Nick Salmon as a white supremacist. And yes, they dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop affair as pure Russian disinformation. Uh, with mainstream corporate journalists becoming little more than uh, apologists and cheerleaders for the regime, is it time to finally declare that the, uh, the canon of journalistic ethics is dead or no longer operative? Uh, all the mistakes of the mainstream media, and CNN per- in particular, seem to magically all go in one direction. Are we expected to believe that this is all just some sort of random coincidence, or is there something else behind it?
0: too bad it's time for lunch (laughs) Uh, you have 30 seconds no i mean there's a there's a clock that says 30 seconds but but i think my honest answer to you and i will come over and talk in more detail after this is that i think you're describing a different channel than the one that i watch uh but i understand that that is a popular right-wing narrative about cnn i'm gonna give you a joe biden come on man you're describing a different channel than the one i watch what a joke i honestly think this guy believes what he just said he was given the receipts for his companies complicity in clear disinformation, which is a term they created to attack Fox News, the mainstream media, uh, with, and instead of even offering a defense, he just dismisses the evidence brought against him with, uh, uh, an honest person or a good person might cop to the clear evidence presented and at least say, you know, we've made some mistakes and all of us do, but we're attempting to do better. Instead, no, that's not us. We don't do that. Like, yes, it is. Everything that that dude just said happened on CNN. My God, th- this is why we have to have real standards rather than arbitrary defined ones. Otherwise, tyrants with microphones rule. So if you want to uh, to avoid that, repent and ask Jesus into your heart and move along. He's way better at this than we are. Smile, you're cuter when you smile. Obviously, I think that there's there's truth to that, but... But you you get the point I'm saying is that, listen, we all have to have a standard by which we judge things. And it cannot be those with an incentive to lie or those who have proven themselves to lie over and over and over again. And unless we are willing to finally come together and decide upon what social contract, by what standard we should live, I think we'll continue to see the unraveling of our society. And I'm just going to continue to harp on this little, little thing. That if we found that as a society, the fabric of our society was woven much more tightly the closer we got to Judeo-Christian ethics, the principles that founded, undeniably founded this nation. If we find that we were knit together a little bit more delicately and a little bit more, more closely. And uh, I, don't, I hesitate to use the word perfectly because there is no such thing. But, uh, but better than we are now then we may have to go back to those standards. Even if you don't like Christianity, even if you claim yourself to be an atheist or you're a tree-worshiping dirt eater, whatever the case may be, can we at least come to the conclusion that a society has to be built upon something and that if we find that those, that something does derive itself from, from Christian historical tradition and truth, then, then it's about time we finally just cop to it and admitted to it and then applied it. So I guess we'll just have to solve all of the world's issues the next time we talk because we're out of time for today. But you can at least make a huge difference in the world by liking, sharing, and subscribing. Thanks so much for watching. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reid Huberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.